Today on the Zabecast, pour one out for the artist now known as Miller Park in Milwaukee. It's been given a death sentence. Two years to live, and why I think you're right to be pissed. Mr. X comes aboard, not only rewatch both title games, he has lots of notes. We'll talk right side, wrong side of games, strategy, and whether the Super Bowl could be a two and a half trap. All that, plus one of the cruelest medical mysteries you've ever heard of. Bonus Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, oh, oh. Thursday, January 24, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Next week, I will be in Hotlanta from Tuesday through the Super Bowl itself. I'm going to be going to the game yet again, second year in a row, and I'll be flying home on Monday morning. Production schedule of the Zabecast could be a little bit affected by this, audio quality as well, but hopefully we'll have some good podcasts from down there. And more importantly, let me know what you guys would like out of me down there. If you want anything special, if you want me to try to do this, try to do that, I always like to try to give you the behind the scenes on both the fun sort of celebrity nightlife that can be had Super Bowl week, as well as the kind of the media bullshit that goes on because (laughs) Radio Row at the Super Bowl is loathed by many, not just you, the listeners who complain of a week of bad audio, crowded, uh, lots of voices in the background, sitting at a card table with the same regurgitated guests from table to table, show to show, day part to day part. But a lot of the people that go, a lot of the hosts that go and have been to a number of radio rows complain as well. It's not fun. It's not comfortable. You can't, don't have all your tools in front of you. It's a hassle. It's just, you know, you, you, you don't feel good about yourself. I went through that for many a year in which I would just sit there. And, and this happens with every radio host. I think it happened. Well, no, I don't want to say that. I think this happens to more than just me. There, fixed it. The thing about being in radio is that it's an ego stroke. You're a pretty big deal. I'm a big deal, you know. In whatever market you're in, whether it's New York City or all the way down in Des Moines, Iowa. If you're on the air in Des Moines, Iowa, talking Hawkeye football most of the year, and 10 people recognize you over the course of a month as you go out to get groceries or go to the corn fest, you're a big deal. Ego stroke. So Radio Row gathers around hundreds of people that are the same as you. And their takes are not any better than yours. Their shtick is not any better than yours or yours not any better than theirs. We're all the same guy. We're the same assholes doing the same stuff for the most part. And it's humbling because every day of your life, you think, I'm a big deal. I'm on the radio. I got people to call me and listen to me. And they say, I love your show, man. First time caller, long time listener. And then you're thrust into this big ocean of of other fish who look just as ugly as you. And there's egos involved. And who do we got as a guest? And we're going to get him next. There are cool people, though that I do enjoy seeing, that I know throughout the business. And uh, if you want me to try to get any on the show, let me know. I'll do my best. For those that don't hate me. Remember, more than a few people that, uh, eh, not fans of mine. I don't know why. I don't really attack anybody. Sometimes my rapier wit and my unrelenting critiques of their work get back to them. Now so more than ever that we are living in a tattletale Age. Hey, did you see what he said? I, gotta, I pulled the audio. I transcribed it. Here's a tweet. I'm going to at you. Jesus. Before we get to Mr. X, big story in Milwaukee this week, right after I left to come home, the Brewers announced that Miller Park, the stadium that was passed with a piece of legislation that was highly controversial, kind of jammed through at the midnight hour. 
George Petak, one of the key guys that pushed it through. God bless George Petak is the saying Bob and Brian would always use for building the park when it looked like the team might move. Beautiful park, even though it did leak early on. The roof has had a number of problems. Several workers died in the construction of it. There's a statue honoring those men outside Miller Park. But otherwise, it's a very cool clamshell sort of fan design stadium that is a wonderful place to watch a baseball game in the very cold northern climes of southeast Wisconsin during the month of April and, of course, deep into October. And last year, with the Brewers one game away from going to the World Series, it was, I was told, an unbelievable environment to be in. So what if the name has changed? Apparently Miller, which is now Miller Coors, which I believe is not even headquartered in the U.S. I think I saw it was in Canada. They've decided that their commitment financially to naming this, the ballpark is going to run out in two years and they're not going to renew. Well, you got to get them corporate, corporate dollars, yo. So what's what are the brewers to do then? Let it sit there unnamed? What would you name the park? American Family Insurance is picking up the sponsorship. Uh, They are based up there, if I'm not mistaken, and they have sponsored a number of things in Wisconsin. I think they sponsored Steve Stricker's golf tournament that he had up there. Probably a wonderful family, uh, probably a wonderful company, American Family Insurance. But as a name, boo! Doesn't sound good at all. Milwaukee and the team, the Brewers, are, of course, a direct homage to the city's brewing history in which so many great breweries were there and, you know, became iconic places to make delicious beer. Thank you to the German uh, influences, German settlers who ended up in Milwaukee, the good land, as they call it, and made beer. The brewers. Okay, that should be enough, right? So what if it's not going to be called Miller Park anymore? Hey, names change. Get over it. I saw a lot of get over it out there. Eh, I'm I'm on the other side of it. This sucks. This this is the worst. Not only because Miller Park was a clean, easy name. Miller that's it. Miller Park. American Family Ballpark Insurance. Miller Park. I don't care if it's Miller Coors or if it's a international conglomerate that owns them. Perfect. The Brewers play at Miller Park. It's that simple. On top of that, you have the signage at the stadium, which is gorgeous. If you look at the outside of Miller Park, it says in big, gold, beautiful, gothic letters or some sort of font, I'm not sure what the font is, Miller Park, kind of diagonally with a little bit of an arc to it. It is What are they going to do with that sign? Where are they going to put it? And guess what? How are the American family, what, what's that logo going to look like on the outside? In fact, I have to go look up uh, their logo right now. American, way to prep. Shut up. American Family Insurance. And Google search. Oh, Jesus, God. that That's their logo. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to have to work on that. It's uh, blue lettering. It's a very horizontal logo. And <laughs> it's got a red line that indicates a rooftop. Like, you know, there's your home. That's where your family lives. No, it looks like a average plumbing company logo. No, 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 no. That is not going to do at all. God, this hurts. This sucks. Uh, the Miller Park sign, I'm looking at it. So it's got the Miller diagonal, Park diagonal, a uh, little uh, triangular underline under both. I do believe it's the same font that Miller Beer has used. Miller High Life over the years. Makes sense. And it's probably those that sign Miller Park is, oh, I don't know. 40 feet high at least. I'm sure it comes down in pieces. 
I'm just not a fan of it. Now, there's a website, actually a T-shirt company. Uh, the site is called Naming Wrongs. Not Naming Rights, Naming Wrongs, where they sell T-shirts in the colors of the teams they represent but without using any marks that are assigned explicitly to Major League Baseball without their permission, blah, blah, blah. In which the shirt just says, I still call it Mile High. I still call it Comiskey. I still call it The Jake. I still call it The Ralph. I'm calling it Shea. And on and on. It's got every old stadium with your team's colors. I like it. It's a bit of an act of defiance to say, oh, sure, you can bank those corporate dollars and you can make your broadcast partners say the actual name of the new sponsored stadium. But I, oh, no, I am going to call it what I want to. You are tampering with forces you can't understand. We have major corporations sponsoring this event. When I said that this game on Sunday, this game this past Sunday, the Saints and Rams game, with the bad call involved and what happened in Kansas City, when I call these things in sports radio buffaloes that will feed the herd for a week or feed the tribe for a week or more, I'm not kidding. And I know you may be sick of talking about all this stuff, but there's more stuff that gets kicked up in the wake of events like this. It is why the NFL is still the absolute king. It's the best, most interesting, most annoying, most aggravating, most making you want to punch somebody in the face if they send you one more email about how to do overtime better. Just kidding. I wouldn't punch you in the face. Unless you were easily smaller than me and I knew I could beat you up. Then maybe. I might slap you. I would never punch you. You're my listeners. you, You take the time to send me all these things, but I've had enough. And so, with that in mind, a guy who has already uh, reopened and rewatched both games, we've got to let Mr. X take his victory lap. Counting his money. Two and O oh. championship Hello. weekend. Mr. X, greetings, sir. How are you? Good. Good evening. <laughs> good morning. I mean, must good be evening. Morning good morning. It's it's <laughs> evening now when we tape. It's no oh. great mystery that we put these okay. to bed before I go to bed. So, congratulations, Mr. X. Two and O oh weekend. Two and O oh yeah, weekend, was... and your Patriots winner, winner, chicken dinner one more time into yes. the championship. I don't usually like playoffs, but you and I can't seem to miss this year. It's been nice. I went one and one. You went two and zero. Oh, yeah. So that made our cumulative playoff run between the two of us. You're seven and three, and I'm eight and two. I finally inched ahead of. <laughs> and you know Maybe what? One more, one more game to tie it up. And, and you know then what? We're going to argue about our own overtime rules when we, when you and I talk. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Please. <laughs> All right. So that's a combined. That's fifteen and three. Or no, fifteen and five. Fifteen and five. Pretty, right. pretty good. That's seventy-five percent, if I'm not mistaken. It'll pay the bills. Fuck yeah, it will. Good job. <laughs> High five. High five. Thanks, man. Okay, so we got a lot of gambling aspects to talk about in retrospect as we loop back. You've sent me an entire dossier of your thoughts and notes on the two games. Yeah. Uh, we got the Super Bowl to look ahead to next week. We'll do a full on. Propapalooza, because that is one of your wheelhouse areas. You love the props. (laughs) Did you see, by the way, I sent you a story. The NFL is going after prop bets, and the NFL would like to have them banned. Uh, Did you read the story? I saw that. I'm not buying it. I mean, the NFL's been against, I mean, they're warmed up now, but they were against gambling for decades in some ways. I, I'm not worried about that. Their argument on, not going away. Their argument on props is they don't want manipulation of the game for crass monetary <laughs> benefit, like a guy yeah. purposely running out of bounds to go under 100 yards or something like that. The sports books say, hey, NFL, since you don't know shit about gambling because you pretend like, oh, my God, I can't believe there's gambling going on, let us educate you. The prop betting is like the fingernail on the world's biggest man. It's a exactly. tiny portion. And most books 
put a limiter, right, Mr. X, on... Very small limits. You don't see guys with big bags of money taking over 67 yards. <laughs> right. No. No, you don't. These are, they're these are, fun. They're appetizers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So with, uh, with that said, where do you want to start? Wow. I don't know. I know they've... Uh, this has been beaten up all week, but do you want my take on the uh, PI? Oh, yeah, I want to hear your take on the PI. Go. My my take is this: you know, a very common theme in sports is to watch a player make a mistake that quote costs his team the game. Alshon Jeffrey last week dropping the ball for the pick, or or and what happens how about, when a player? How about D uh-huh. Ford? The same well, yeah, people. Sure, that too. The <laughs> same people who are outraged that two referees could blow a call yeah. are like, yeah, well, D Ford was off sides and then they just kind of breeze over it. But the mistake, well, the mistake of lining up off sides is tough. even, it's even more brain dead than a, yeah. than a fairly quick moving play like sure. PI. Yeah. But my, my, my point is this, that players make mistakes and what happens? You see them on the sidelines and you see the buddies, the rest of the guys on the team, and what's the first thing they say? Shake it off, man. It was one play. And in a press conference, oh, there was 100 other plays. One play doesn't cost us the game. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, but if it's a referee, all of a sudden, that is the only play of the entire day that, quote, kept a fan base from the opportunity to go. Oh, please. Yeah, it's a- the Saints gave that game away. Their play calling was laughable. Sean Payton's arrogance, I think I predicted that on your show last week, his arrogance and his play calling cost them the game. Yeah, And more so than some guy who made a mistake. Let's not dig it all to pieces. He made a mistake on that bang-bang PI play. When you slow it down, it was a terrible call. Fast speed, oh, God, it was, you know, I mean. God, I think in real time, the more, I, the more I see it in real time, the more horrified I am. And I'm still yes. trying to figure out why it is neither one of those guys threw the flag. My operative theory is that those referees knew a flag did end the game and they would never want to be on the side of, I ended the game. They'd rather err on the side of, well, they're still going to kick a field goal to go ahead. They still yes. got a great chance to win. I'm going to hope this one dies a quiet death. It didn't, though. You, you want to be, you're right. You want to be 100% sure when you throw that. And at the time it happens, you probably think in your ninety. Then you look back on it and go, "Yeah, shit, it was a hundred. Okay, yeah. my bad." Right. This it was happens. this call, Mister X, was the Pine Barrens episode in The Sopranos where the Russian runs away into the woods, and they wing him in the shoulder or in the head, and they don't know if they got him or not. And then he never came back to murder him in the series. I think the referees were hoping that that the this call, this bad call, was going to be the Russian that never comes back. Instead, he lived and came back and murdered their whole family. Whoops. And I, I actually think, I know you talked a lot about Peyton just not being able to get past that play and costing him the rest of the day. That's what I felt. I honestly think part of what was in his head was he knew. He knew his throwing the ball twice when they needed one first down to clinch the game and go home. He was... It, that makes it that much worse in his head. He knew he screwed yeah. up, and that's why he could not tolerate the ref's mistake. Although on it that looked, on that possession, I, I went back and looked. You watched the games a second time, right? Yes, I do. Because so, you were at a bar watching the first time through, right? Yes. Which bar uh, was I had, that? I had, uh, which bar? Yeah. I watch uh, the Patriots at a place in Old Town called Murphy's Irish Pub. But I have obstructed view seats. It's really hard because sometimes you can't see past the mug, but... <laughs> okay so so uh on so that sequence again, you're right so on that sequence there's a minute and 48 seconds left yep. it's first and 10 at the 15 roughly speaking yep the the rams have two timeouts not three correct and peyton threw the ball on second down first oh he threw it on first down okay threw it on first and third Threw it on first down. First incom- was inexcusable. Threw it on first down incomplete. Yep, Second pass to uh, Michael Thomas, right. and it was just a bad play. Second down, they run it, and the Rams take timeout number two out of three. Stop the clock, and on third down, they throw it again, and it's the P.I. that will live forever. Now, I believe had Peyton run the ball on first and second down, yes, they 
call their two timeouts to preserve as much time as possible. So you're still at only about 120 left on the clock, and I bet you're facing a third and at least six or seven, which is typically a passing down. So if you choose to be conservative and run, maybe you pick up the first. A lot of times you don't. Let's say they don't. Now the clock winds. You're under a minute. You kick the field goal. You go up three, and now the Rams have about 45 seconds. Correct. A pretty strong position, but let's not forget. Zerline hit a bomb to tie it. Zerline hit the bomb of bombs to win it at 57. Going 20 or so yards in 45 seconds, even without timeouts, is not a huge reach. The Rams would have been still very much alive. So just in terms of the play calling. Yeah. Well, here's what I would add to that, though. You have just described the worst case scenario for the Saints if they ran three times. There's also a possibility of, hey, get a first down. Then you're kicking a walk-off chip shot, go home. That is correct. Everybody assumes when you run three times, you've quit. You know what? John Riggins must laugh his ass off when he hears that. Right. Give me the ball and we're going home. Right. You know why? The Saints got Ingram. They can't run the ball. Yeah. I mean, you you know, they they always talk about when coaches, you know, show confidence in your defense. Why don't you show a little confidence in your offensive line instead of throwing the ball to your fifth wide receiver in the biggest play of the year? That's a great point. (laughs) Tommy Lee Lewis sounds like a musician. All right, yeah. so let's talk about the so-called right side of a game because sometimes okay. you'll hear guys say that. What does that mean? Yeah, well, you know, when, when you bet on a game, very often, you know, when you're watching a game, you can tell if you pick the right side or the wrong side. You know, taking away fluke plays and, you know, games are often lost with mistakes, et cetera. But when you're watching a game and a team is dominating, you know who deserves to win that game or cover that game. It doesn't always come out that way. We all know that you can be on the wrong side and get lucky. Heck, I was on the wrong side, perhaps. Well, no, you know what? When I watched it originally, I thought the Saints were the right side. When I rewatched it, the Rams did everything right from the end of the first quarter on. Really? And the Saints, the Saints gave it away. I mean, they gave that away. I okay. do not feel that the Saints deserve to win that game. I did originally, but the second time I went to the Rams. So, but, um, so the being on the, the Patriots, Patriots were the right side. They had that one so easy, and then they get, tried to give it away. Yeah. So basically, when a gambler loses, he wraps himself in the swaddling clothes of delusion, known as yeah. But I still had the right side of the game, right? Well, you're trying to be smart moving forward. Now you could call it that, but I like to think of it the other way too. The number of times I go, "Damn, was I on the wrong side?" and I got that one right and lucky. I don't think I'm a genius if I'm on the wrong side and I get it right. I know right. I was lucky. You know, so, you got to go both ways. So you feel it's important as a gambler to think after a game is over, was I on the right side? And if I wasn't on the right side, why did I end up on the wrong side? If you plan to ever do it again, it's a good lesson. <laughs> if you it's a good thing to not – don't fool yourself into thinking, you know, you're, yeah. you're magic. You know, pay, pay closer attention. Yeah, you're right. All right. The, the PI play, aside from the call – was actually fraught with a lot of danger because uh, old nickel Roby Colbin, had he got his goddamn head around, had a pick six the other way, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. Or at least a pick and, you know, plenty of time to win the game. And then we're saying, Sean Payton, you're throwing the ball out for grabs to Lewis with the game on the line? That's why I say they gave it away. Yeah. Because things can go wrong. But and Lewis, they went wrong. But Lewis was open big time for a, a quick second before yeah. – Roby Coleman absolutely busted ass to get on that side of the formation and go ahead and uh, yeah he was but when you lob the ball that high uh, you know he suddenly closed you know I, thought, I don't know I thought he I thought it was more I thought it, I thought the blast pass was too flat I would have liked it lobbed more and deeper toward the pylon if it was deeper you're right either hit him early or lob it deep but he kind of went halfway in between exactly yeah so but but how about the biggest play in that freaking game that I haven't heard mentioned yet. Biggest play in that game to me was the punter pass in the first quarter down 13 nothing that the Rams threw. Oh, yeah. On fourth and five in their own territory, down Johnny 13 nothing. Johnny Hecker. Johnny Hecker. And, yeah. and it, was a, it was a pass to the line of scrimmage. The guy had to make a, a, had to break, had a, to tackle. break a tackle. And go, if, that, if, that's a, um, if that play doesn't work, that game's over. Yeah, that guy had he has big balls. Period. That's all there is to it. Well, and the thing about it too is that Hecker, 
is known as the most dangerous passing punter in the league. And the Rams do this shit all the time. Why they do, on but earth? Not there, man. That was still a gutsy place to do it. It was, but it's almost like you have to be ready at any time. You should. Yeah. So they got caught yeah. on that one. Yeah. I give him credit for that, though. That I mean, that that's that's a coach who's playing to win, not a coach who's worried about oh shit, how do I explain this at the press conference? Right. Uh, a lot of Rams fans have now compiled Photoshop montages of multiple blown calls that benefited the Saints, including the face mask that was not called on Jared Goff that would have given him a first and goal and possibly let him go up by a touchdown. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that you know what? When you watch things over, you can talk about what should or shouldn't be a penalty, but you and I know when you watch as much crap football as you and I do, I know what is normally called. And, you know, PIs are, are crap shoots, even though that one was a clear PI. Right. Grabbing a quarterback's face mask and then turning his head, that gets called more often than anything on the board. That one was more surprising to me in a sense that it was missed because it was in the open field. You know, sometimes in the pocket, you can't always get a look at did he hit his mask, kind of like the Brady one where he yeah. swung and missed. Yeah. But in the open field, you pull a quarterback's face mask, that one surprised me more than anything. Yeah. Are you ready to switch to the Pats game? Uh, sure, sure. Or do you have anything left over from Saints-Rams? Um, no. Okay. Good. So, in the Pats game, uh, everyone's now talking about overtime, overtime formats. I have no problem with sudden death overtime decided by a coin flip, the pure sudden death that we used to have when I was growing up as a kid. I just am not concerned with, oh, it's perhaps unfair. I, I just don't care. I, it's an entertainment product. It's luck of the draw. Don't go to overtime if that's what you don't want to have. Now, that said... The only further change I would endorse is if you really want to take the coin flip out, then my proposal is let the home team get the ball first in overtime because they're the home team, and it's called home team advantage, home field advantage. If you don't like it, go get home field advantage. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know what? This is not important. I think the way they do it is just fine. I think going back to the old format is fine, but it won't happen. I think a coin flip, my God, if there's anything in the world we say is not fair, it's a coin flip. How, if that's not fair, what is well, fair? Well, you say okay. Well, you say it's not fair. Another say it's not fair. I think it's fine. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, you're no, it's, you're it's laughing. You're laughing yes. at people who say it's not fair, right? What you, do we do? Well, Whose tab is it? Flip a coin. I mean, it's fair. <laughs> right. Uh, I and think... I would say if you've had home field advantage for sixty minutes and it's still tied. I don't want to give you more of an advantage. You already have the advantage. Right. Let's I go think, to a coin flip. If it was me, I'd just do rock, paper, scissors and be done with it. Yeah. I, I think what people think about fair, they they look at it like if you don't win something random, it's not merit-based. Yeah. That somebody gets an advantage that was not based on merit, therefore, wah, wah, yeah. unfair. What, they're th- what they should be thinking of is, is a coin flip equitable and the answer is yes of course it is equitable means both sides have a statistically even shot of winning the coin flip therefore it's equitable it just may not be fair exactly every every probability class in the world teaches you how to do probability by using coin examples for crying out loud there's there's nothing wrong with that right as long as the refs don't miss up calling it like they used to do with jerome bettis but other than that it's good (laughs) Phil Luckett, he'll live in infamy. Okay, so the Patriots do it again. And, I mean, this game was back and forth. The fourth quarter was a scoring explosion. Both defenses pretty much collapsed at that point and and couldn't stop anybody. And Brady did it again. Son of a bitch. I did not realize how good a game he played until I rewatched it. I mean, the number of third and 10 passes that he threw into a window that were so tight, yep. you, you don't mind throwing into that window now and then. But, you know, when it's third and 10, usually you're hoping for an easy play. Man, he, was just, he was hitting some tight, tight windows. And, and some of the catches by just routine guys that don't get credit, White, Edelman, Hogan, they were – I didn't see the Redskins make catches like that in 16 games. Right. The one that White made that I think was a really under it was like, like third and eight, and he threw it to him out in a flat. It was way behind him. He just reached back, snagged it, turned upfield, got the first down, and I'm like, 
you know, if that was a Redskins game, we'd be talking about was the problem the catcher or the thrower? <laughs> right. <laughs> Alex Smith has to lead him better on that. Better, yeah. Like, Come on, man. Both make a play. Yeah, yeah. They really played well down this. I thought. Yeah, and of course there was plenty of controversial calls, and uh, of course the uh, the the Brady the roughing the passer on Brady. Everyone hated that one, but I totally understand why from behind. It looked yep. like it was a foul that they're supposed yeah. to call, so he called it. Uh, the catches by Edelman and Hogan that rubbed against the ground. This is what I've been saying for years about replay. You get cameras good enough, you will see how much is a ball possessed when it's rubbing between bicep and shoulder, yep. and how much does it smear across the ground in the process of being catched, and what constitutes control, and how much did the ground help, and next thing you know, there's no definitive answer. Yeah, that's how good Brady is. He's throwing the ball downfield and was able to fake the contact with his helmet at the same time. <laughs> yeah, fake the contact. <laughs> he didn't fake it, I think. he. Uh, if you watched him, he kind of he winced and he turned his head and it made it look like he got hit, I think but he be- didn't. I think because it was a fairly violent chop that did yeah. catch him on the shoulder – so I think it was a natural reaction, but who knows? I'm maybe, just going to give him credit. <laughs> maybe Brady is that good. The other thing that drove some people crazy was that the Edelman muffed punt wow. had the most amazing montage of angles that looked different from literally every angle. And yes. therefore, some people said, well, shouldn't that mean that the call stands? Calls. Yeah. That is actually the thing that has bothered me the most. I know I know there's your stance, but the thing that has bothered me the most over the years about replay in all the sports is when you really – it's one thing when you don't have an angle. You go, eh, don't have an angle. But when you have all the angles in, break it down, and it's really, really, really close. They, oh, well, it's really close, so we're not going to change it. That's when you should change it. Or they should come out and say – we're going to leave the play as guest originally on the field because when it's really, really close, right. the guy's just guessing. So if you're going to do the replay, don't tell me it's close. So I have to leave it as is. If it's really close, that's when the ref needs the help the most. Yeah. E- even on the replays, cause I, I'd saw one angle. I'm like, Oh, hit his thumb right there. And then they show the side view and I'm like, Oh, holy nope. shit. Not only did it not hit, it missed his thumb by six inches. And then exactly. you look at a third angle, and you go, I don't know, and maybe it caught his bicep. It's all now. Now it gets into the weeds of of lawyer arguing of exactly. well, do those three reviews, three angles they had, prove definitively, or is it quote inconclusive? I think they got the call right, and I think they did it inconsistently with how they've been doing it all the time. Right. That makes sense. They normally let that stand. And then you say, why do you let it stand? When you look at those six angles, you can see it missed it. So you know, it, it, you can argue that either way. They got it right, but they did it inconsistently with what I've seen for years. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, in law is they say you can't prove a negative. So it's yeah. hard okay. to prove that the ball absolutely didn't hit him if there's some way to squint and say, I think I saw it deflect or wobble just a little bit passing his arm. That means it must have hit. Exactly. You know, can I switch here to my biggest take of the week? Okay. I can't remember where I heard it. One of your shows this week, whenever they're looking at like that's PI and all these really, really close calls, somebody, I can't remember who this week made the comment about, oh my gosh, can you imagine what's going to happen when gambling becomes legal? You know, as if these refs are going to need like all this extra protection from gamblers. You know what? That couldn't be more far off. Gamblers know how to lose. Gamblers win and lose. They win you're, and lose. You're and talking, you're, Mr. X, yeah. you're talking gentleman gamblers no, like no, yourself. No, no, I don't agree with that. You're Let's talking pros. Uh, well, no. okay, okay, go ahead and then I'll rebut. Well, no, what I would say is this. You know what? Fans that are avid, crazy, stupid fans are the ones throwing beer bottles and whiskey bottles at referees and players. You don't see a gambler out there doing that. They know they might win. They know they might lose. 
these fans are the ones that are going absolutely crazy. You think that suddenly a, a gambler, because it's legal, is suddenly going to have all these issues? The issues we've had over the years. Remember the remember the Hail Mary, the original Hail Mary, um, Minnesota Dallas back yes. in Super Bowl five, and it was one of the clear. You know, as you said, if you had replay on that. Did Pearson push off? Well, if you're from Minnesota, you're damn right he did. If you're from Dallas, he did not. He was hand fighting. I don't know the answer to that. And what happened while the refs were huddling? The guy got hit with a liquor bottle from the stands, if you remember. Next thing you know, they got the ref all bandaged up. I guarantee that wasn't a gambler. It was a freaking Minnesota fan. I was pissed off. You don't have to be a gambler to get mad. I I know you want to defend the virtue of your (laughs) fellow gentleman gambler friends. This is the only distinction I'll make on that point. I I do think it's overblown. I'll agree with you there about the, oh, my God, what's going to happen when gambling is legal and the NFL is in bed with these books. There's a difference between being a gambler and a guy who has money on the game. Do you know the difference? Uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah, you know the difference. (laughs) Gamblers go about it with at least some serious system or semi-serious system that they believe in. And they do it on a regular basis, whether the team's in it or not. A guy with money on the game is that booze bottle-throwing hooplehead who's pissed off, just got fired from his roofing job this past week, and is ready to exert his rage because he lost 100 bucks on a bad call. Those are the people that the NFL does have to worry about a little bit. These are kind of new entrants into the, hey, put some money on the game crowd. Not true gamblers. I, that's a that's a very uh, fair analysis. I just think there's just as many, if not way, way, way more, of those crazy dudes that have been drinking all day. They're going to do something stupid, regardless of uh, you know a little bit of action on the game. Here, here's the, uh, and it's funny that uh, the lawsuit. Have you read about the lawsuit that's been filed? I would, I would make them pay court costs so fast for that frivolous, absurd suit. Did Did you see? what was claimed as damages in the lawsuit loss of enjoyment of life right yeah (laughs) sure that was my original point with you okay so the referee took all that from you every time a guy drops a pass or fumbles the ball does can you sue him too he he took away my enjoyment of life a hell of a lot more too (laughs) right (laughs) emotional trauma was also mentioned in the lawsuit as well here mental anguish and emotional trauma Loss of faith in the NFL, loss of entertainment, distrust of the game, and loss of enjoyment of life. Now, is that from the ref or is that from Cody Parkey? No, zing. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a game. Things happen. I know. Players well, make mistakes and refs make mistakes. I don't know why it's so hard for people to get, right? Yeah. I, you know, some fan bases take it harder than others. And I think, I think the Saints – because of what happened last year, which is entirely their own fault, the Minneapolis miracle. And I think because of Bounty Gate and how badly they got hammered, I think they're like, the league has fucked us again. Because remember, after Bounty Gate, you know, Roger Goodell was not welcome in any restaurant in New Orleans after that. You know, I guess I hadn't thought of this till just now. But as a Patriot guy, it's really nice to have company in there. <laughs> <laughs> company in there. Company in there with the Goodell uh, haters and, and, you know, the the leagues against us. It's nice to have company. By the way, the, uh, Brian Tui uh, of The Fix is In, author, and a big-time uh, sports and conspiracy theorist. He's done the legwork on this. Reminded us when he was on with us earlier this year on the Zabecast that the NFL itself cannot be sued for fixing games because the NFL specifically has registered its product legally as an entertainment product, and therefore, if they want to fix it, you can't sue them. You're not going to win a dime. It's just for entertainment purposes only. The Sports Betting Fraud Act is when you bribe somebody like a quarterback or a running back to throw the game. That's a crime. But the leagues themselves, they can fix the games There's any no way they want. There's no guarantee that it's a fair game. They make it, It's no different than the WWE. Exactly. It's the same. And if we found out that this was all you know, orchestrated so there'd be 31 points in the fourth quarter, it's nothing. You, you're right. It's, yeah. it's, you know, they're allowed to do that. I don't think they do, but they certainly could. It, uh, the thing about the NFL, though, 
and and I say this all the time, aside from my saying it's a it's a TV show about quarterbacks, the NFL, Mr. X, is an episodic league, meaning it's like a TV show where every week is an episode, right? Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. twists and turns, and it's an episodic league that has the most unpredictability of any sport. In baseball, guy hits a home run, you win, okay, great. Sometimes there's a weird play, like the A-Rod rundown between the Yankees and the Red Sox during the ALCS 2003, <laughs> and it's like, wow, that was really notable. But for the most part, we know how baseball games are decided. Basketball, same thing. We know what happens. Somebody hits a three, somebody makes a dunk, there's whatever. In football, though, a million ways an episode of your favorite team could go south or could turn out gloriously. Twists and turns and drama and personalities and coulda, shoulda, wouldas. That's the other thing. The coulda, shoulda, wouldas strategically and then also the bitching about the unfairness of certain rules and or refs calls. It's the perfect cocktail for entertainment product supreme and it's why Roger Goodell can't fuck it up. He's tried. He almost like he's been on a, a 10-year run of going, "Okay, what else can I do to slow this train down?" Eh, nothing. I can't. It keeps rolling. In fact, that that reminds me of I, I explained to my one of my sons today what I consider the original similar um, similar situation to this weekend's games, what I call the origination of replay. Do you know the first time it was ever used in the NFL? Il- illegally, I'll add. Yes, I believe it was in it was the immaculate reception. Damn, you're good. Yes, that's what I was going to say. That play was so crazy. I was explaining to him. You know, they used to have the rule: couldn't touch two offensive receivers. It was fourth and ten, game over. Who goes to the Super Bowl? Cam's back. Franco picks it up. Did he catch it? We didn't see it. Did he go out of bounds? We didn't see it. There was three things going, and the refs huddled, and they couldn't figure it out. And then the one guy went off under the tunnel and got on a phone, and everyone's going, who do you think he's talking to? Really? Yes, he got on a phone in the stadium, and he was in there for like five minutes, and everyone's thinking, I think supposedly he went back and said, are there any angles on TV? Because all these three things that happened were away from the ball and there were no angles. And they finally came up with, they went through. I mean, he just basically said, we're not guessing. I heard use replay. I heard. And then he came back on the field and said, touchdown. And had he said, incomplete game over it would have been you know death by terrible towel (laughs) i heard i heard maybe this is urban legend i heard that he called to say how many police do you have to escort us if we wipe this off and they're like two and he goes not enough touchdown that's urban legend but it's a good one no the other two is okay what year was that uh the immaculate reception Oh, Steelers. Uh, I mean, seventy eight. The decision of no. This was one of their first Super Bowls versus the Raiders. I think it was um, seventy four. First or second? Seventy four, seventy five range. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah, at that time, for those kids listening to the podcast today, there was no video screen at all inside no. the stadiums. They didn't have the technology. They had yeah, light bulbs I, that they arranged like a fucking light bright. So they could put the score and the down and distance on a small scoreboard in the stadium in 1974. That's why they couldn't look up at, up at any screen and go, oh, what happened there? Yeah, I was 13. I think I had the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gambling. Scott, are you gambling? Oops, I shouldn't have said that. Do you need me to bleep that out? We'll be all right. Okay. So the other thing, too, about the Immaculate Reception is that the play, the, the the footage everyone sees today is the NFL Films footage, which right. is a splice up of two different camera shots. Yep. And the one camera shot of Franco Harris plucking the ball deftly out of the air before it hit the ground was just the perfect shot down the line, directly in focus, and they were running that film at, I think, well more than 30 frames per second. So it was a slow-mo shot. That was perfectly clear. Yes. I've seen the TV footage of the Immaculate Reception. It's like, what happened? I can't even see what happened. Yeah. And then, of course, the biggest key was, yes, that shot showed he caught it, but they never had a shot that said, did the wide receiver touch the ball? Because remember, back then, you couldn't have two offensive players touch the ball. And why did they have that rule? 
And you know what? I grew up on that rule. The idea was if you throw it to me and it bounces off my hands, the lucky guy who catches it, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> they got, they used to say two that's, offensive players couldn't touch it. That's so lame. That's like, well, who cares? Got, and there was no way to tell uh, if Pitt or Oakland had hit the ball. There was no angle. Because, if, if because Pitt had hit it. Yeah, Frenchie Fuqua was the fullback that for the for the Steelers and Al Davis right. would always say Fuqua Fuqua touched the ball he clearly yes. touched the ball <laughs> yeah well there's no way to tell see now that's another lesson Mr. X and that the NFL weeded out of the rule book a nonsensical arbitrary rule that didn't add any, any entertainment value to the game itself didn't present any kind of game hack that would be taken advantage of they just said, yes. well, if it bounces in the air and somebody else catches Let's it. Let's make it easier. Who cares? Well, see, the same thing happened two years prior in a big in the Super Bowl. Um, uh, the Colts guy caught a – John Mackey caught, I think, an 80-yard – somebody caught an 80-yard touchdown right after the original receiver tried to catch it, and they couldn't tell if he touched it or not. And yeah. they were trying to determine if that touchdown counted. And then they, they made it simple and said, yeah. if you catch it, you catch it. Well, and the, the other thing, too, is that you know with the push-out rule, the force-out rule – the NFL yes. finally said to make this easier, let's just allow force outs and stop trying to give a judgment call to our side judges as to whether you would have come down in bounds right. or not. And that's that a was smart a thing. Rule, yeah. But I'm but it's still a, waiting for someone to catch a guy in the air and just and carry him ten yards and yeah. drop him. I haven't seen that yet, but you could do it. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. And and hey. guess what? It's fine. The, the NFL needs to keep going. They need to keep like a weed whacker to an overgrown backyard of rules, they got to keep simplifying and simplifying and simplifying any sure. rule that doesn't add any entertainment value or doesn't present anything that would ruin the integrity of the game. Get rid of it. They're all arbitrary, well, all these rules. Yeah, well, they just, what, in the last couple of years, they changed the aid, the ball carrier one. Now that every goal line pileup guys just start shoving the pile, that used to be a penalty. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Although, Get this, you are still not allowed to pull a guy into the end zone. You can push, you just can't pull. That, to me, is kind of stupid. Well. <laughs> that, I, I was pushing from the other side. No, wait, yeah, right. man, I don't know. I was reverse hey, pushing. I wasn't pulling, I was reverse pushing. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the, the thing, I, 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 I don't know if this is going to shake out this week, but the biggest mystery to me of this entire weekend is, of course, Todd Gurley. And the reason I say that is when I watched the tape the second time, we all know the situations where a playoff team, quote, rides a hot hand. You know, heck, they did it with Brady uh, 20 years ago when he replaced Bledsoe. Whenever the sub, you know, gets hot, you get in that question of do you ride the hot hand or do you go back to start? C.J. Anderson was god-awful on Sunday. Well, he's he looked he's, slow. He was he looked he he, did, he didn't make a good play. He's, he looked overweight. You know why he didn't he's, make a single play? Do you know why he's fat? Uh, <laughs> he I likes fried guess, food but, like the rest of us. He's fat. He's fat because because he didn't have a job all year. Yeah, but his uh -huh. wife is uh -huh. pregnant, and he gained the hubby sympathy weight, which is really bullshit. Because I know wow. when my wife had our first daughter. I gained a lot of weight too, and it wasn't sympathy. It was me being fucking lazy, is what it was. Yeah. Well, I, how does C.J. Anderson playing god awful take all of Todd Gurley's carries? Well, Gurley, this they, is worse than Malcolm Butler last year. What the hell is going on? Well, some some are speculating Gurley was hurt because remember his knee was bad. Gurley though denied it, saying he just stunk in the game. And then when the they, one, when the they asked Sean McVay, he yeah. looked good on his touchdown well, run. Well, sure. He looked like the same guy. I know. But when, yeah. And McVay afterwards said, you know what? Um, I should have got him more touches. I got him seven touches, not nearly enough. So that said, spinning ahead, quick look ahead. We're not going to get too deep into it here because I want to give you okay. I want to give you five minutes on the Hall of Fame inductions in baseball. Oh, good. Um, spinning ahead, you've got the Wonderkind against the old Jedi Master. How about that Sean McVay versus Belichick? This is going to be juicy. Do you think That's McVay right. can pull it off? I I don't know. It's too early. I, I You know how much I'm hating the line. It's two and a half. But, but it started on the other side of the aisle. No, no, no. It was on the other side before Sunday. 
a lot of shops put up the potential oh, matchups. Oh, really? Okay. And before Sunday, it was Rams. Patriots were one Rams. After the games were played and the Patriots, let's just face it, looked up better and better as got always. It, got it. Okay. The line opened at two and a half so, when it was the real line. So the Rams minus one. So we're looking at a trap here. So the <laughs> the two Rams might the Rams minus one was a hypothetical line before the games were played. Right. For okay. example, last week you could have picked any of the four matchups and bet the matchup, and if the matchup doesn't occur, it's just a no play. So you, you could pick Rams, you, Patriots, or Rams, uh, Chiefs. Do you ever yeah. recommend buying a hypothetical line? You better um, have a real good reason. Like, hey, my team's about to show how good they are, and they haven't shown it yet. Otherwise, I'd say no because your guy gets hurt, and you go, huh, kind of sorry I got in there. Um, yeah. You know, you know, why, why do you do you still want that play? There better be a real reason. And the point, it's usually about where it's going to be. So what am I in a hurry for? Okay. What? So this game opened, the two Super Bowl opened two and a half. Yep. And you know what that means? Two and a half trap. It's a two and a half super trap. Yeah. Yeah. Which means, and for those that are new to the to the show here or didn't listen to the Zabecast earlier in the year, Mister X has a two and a half trap theory in which if a game opens uh-huh. two and a half, and it stays two and a half, then the odds makers, the books. They want you to bet the favored team minus two and a half because it feels like those genes will fit you. Hey, it's less than three. Why not? But it's only when a line opens two and a half and stays two and a half and sits there like a rock all week that then it's a trap and you take the underdog plus the two and a half. No, I actually, the two and a half trap, you take the underdog money line to win every time. Oh, I'm sorry. You take the underdog, yep. but you take the money line. Yep. Okay. Yep. Two and a half they trap. win that game. Yep. All right. Now, if this thing moves off at two and a half by the time the game comes, then it's not a trap. Exactly. Okay. So exactly. we'll have to we'll have to monitor it. We'll uh, we'll see what happens next week. Propapalooza. If you want more of Mister X uh, before your Super Bowl picks and your pools and your props, well then, by golly, subscribe at zabe.com/slash/premium and you will get next Friday's Super Bowl football five ways spectacular. That ended the football. Let's just do four minutes on the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts go. Well. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the, one of the people talk about how the, the balloting is so undefined and I think it's on purpose to get you talking. Um, they don't want to pin this down. They want controversy. I think the biggest problem with it is, is the evolution of the media for decades. The hall of fame writers voted. Why? They're the guys that watch baseball every damn day. And 20, 30, 40 years ago, they were the only ones. Well, now I, you know, with the national and the coverage and the games on all day, the guys who know the players are guys like Harold Reynolds and guys doing, you know, studio shows every day, not writers. Um, so I don't like the writers being the the say all as if they know the most. They're following one team all year, yeah, for the most part. Those guys aren't the ones. But I think I. I what do you think I, of the class? I think it's a silly class. Uh, you know, yeah, I heard you earlier ask, there's two basic schools of thought. One is, what did you do over the course of a long, long, wonderful, you know, 15, 20, 24 year career? Longevity. But I'm a believer in be a star. Be the guy that when we talk about a decade, we talk about you. When you, my kids ask me who the good players were, I don't say, well, this guy was pretty average for 22 years. Who cares? I want to tell you yeah. who was who was noteworthy. And I will never say to them, my God. It's a shame you never got to see Harold Baines hit. I'll never no, say that. No shit. I, I seriously. I'll never say Edgar Martinez was a great hitter. I will never say, yeah. boy, you know what? You know, those guys, Yeah. Were, it was way too easy. I want to see guys that were really good for 10 years and not guys that played for so long they accumulated stats. Right. So would I, you? I think, it's a, I think it's a laugh when you see these guys make a Hall of Fame and you look and you see three All-Star games. You know, guys like Mays and Aaron have 25. It's like you made three all-star games and you're in the Hall of Fame. All right, how about this? How about you go with the best 12 consecutive metric for the Hall of Fame? So you take a a sliding ruler 
and you just adjust it. You scooch it up, move it back, and you bracket the 12 best consecutive years, which would be the heart of a long baseball career, which goes upwards of 20 years, right? Best, best 12, in the number, it could be best 10, it could be best 15, yeah. whatever. Best 12, and then you chop off the fat on the front and the back, and you compare 12s against 12s against 12s. And you sure. and like you, I would say, you better tell me why you were a star. You better tell me what you did in the game yeah. that was unique and worthy of enshrinement to Cooperstown, not just, hey, I had a good BABIP or whatever you want to use as yeah. a metric. And the two best players in a good chunk of my life, the two best players were Bonds and Clemens. And I'm tired of the game. They belong in and move on. Wow. They, neither one of them were ever caught doing anything. You know, they, they played caught. before testing. Well, what I mean is this. First of all, <laughs> both of them made the all-century team before steroids were in, invented. True. Okay. They were already the best players. They were already like top 50, top 100, whatever that that um, uh, um, award thing they did that night. Yeah. They were the, they were two of the three current players, along with Griffey, that were on that. They had made that, and steroids hadn't been invented yet. Now, Bonds, is, Bonds went from a guy who should have ended his career at 540 dingers, suddenly goes to 750 because for some miracle, he just grew like the Stay Puff Marshmallow <laughs> Man yeah. at the end of his career. But during the younger days, I mean, he was not that player. He was fast, gold okay. glove, beautiful. Are you... And he belongs in. Now, they, they, the guys who fail tests after the – it's kind of like, to me, if you change the speed limit and your speed, you get pulled over. But you can't change it and then pull over guys who went fast last week. Fair enough. A-Rod, though, is going to be different because, A, he did get te- he did test positive. And being younger, he won't be eligible to 2022. He enveloped more of his career, almost certainly juicing, unlike Bonds, unlike Clemens. Yeah, I can I can see I'm torn on him and I can see people saying you got caught. You got caught cheating. You're not in. But Clemens and Bonds are both kind of the hey, towards the end of the career, you decided you wanted to play longer. And we think that we're pretty sure that you cheated. So I'm sorry. Who cares? <laughs> okay. Pretty sure. Eh, since when is that good enough? I was, you know. <laughs> All right, Mister X. Always a good run with you. Uh, yep. I wish I could pack you in my bag and bring you to Atlanta for the game, but I can't. But if you do want to come down to Atlanta, there's plentiful flights. Uh, the TSA may make you wait in line for four hours if this shutdown's not solved, and I will let you sleep in my hotel room if you do come. I was looking at uh, ticket prices last night. I won't be. Going. Although, I just saw a story tonight, ticket prices plummeting for the Super Bowl because the Rams don't bring a lot of noise, fan-wise. And the Patriot fans, they're there, but they're a little worn out from nine of these now in the last 17 years. (laughs) Well, the prices always start high. They go down every day from now until the end. They always do. You're right. All right, we'll think about it. All right. Mr. X, we'll talk next Friday. Thanks, brother. We'll end on this today. Horrible and ironic ways to live. Meet Abdul Bajandar, Bajandar from Bangladesh. He's got a nickname, the Tree Man. Why? He has a skin condition that makes his hands and fingers sprout wild, massive bunches of lesions that look like tree bark. Good God. In fact, the photos I'm looking at of this poor guy, his hands look like he has pom-poms that are lesions just growing like crazy out of his hands. The disease he has is epidermodysplasia varicuformis, and he's had it for more than 20 years. And the condition is caused by a defect in the immune system, which increases one's susceptibility to HPV, often leading to chronic HPV infection, infection, skin lesions, and increased risk of developing melanoma skin cancer. It is so rare, this condition, there have only been a handful of reported cases around the world. A pun not intended. I apologize. Doctors told CNN that Bajandar has had more than 25 surgeries since 2016 but has skipped out a further treatment in that time. 
I guess he's just he's had enough. He he just can't keep going back. They use lasers to to burn it off and to take it off, but they just keep coming back. Oh my god, poor son of a gun. Just weird like that. Human body is weird. There there are things or you know, every time you think god, I got it bad. I got this bad disease. I got this condition. Oh yeah. You don't have tree hands. So at least you got that going for you. That'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple friends. Get the Zavecast app. Premium edition next week is going to make itself up in money on Mr. X's prop bets within the first two prop bets. Podcasts are the future. It's like Netflix for your ears. Sign up and enjoy, and I appreciate the patronage. Now, thank the Lord you don't have crazy tree bark hands. Get on out there, and we will see you next time.